do uh, seize those moments, they create the next opportunity, and you just don't know how right. those things have a multiplier effect, those early decisions. So initiative opens doors, kind of. So, oh, yeah. so small things compound or make a big difference later on. You said yeah. two things. I don't want to miss it. Good. Did you have a second thing you were saying to yourself as a 22-year-old graduate? A second thing? I thought you said you had two things. If you don't, we'll move on. Oh, no, I'm old, so I don't remember. <laughs> Maybe I said two things. Just, um, yeah. Same people, uh, you know, I talk about taking chances, but the, the other thing is uh, the people that you meet right now, uh, many of them will be your closest friends the rest of your life. Uh, Sharon and I had supper with a couple on Sunday night, and we were students here together, 17, 18-year-old wow. students, and here we are, 56 now. He's older than I am, I remind him. <laughs> but uh, we still are friends, and people that you meet today, two or three of the people that you spend these years with will become some of your closest friends. I think it's even more true than high school. Like, when you leave high school, you think you'll always be in touch with those people. But no, you were in high school because you lived in a geographical location, for the most part. And so once that's no longer your common denominator, uh, you'll have much stronger connections with the people that you share vision and values with in this experience. And so... Go deep. And they become your ministry contacts, connections around the world. Yep. Like all of a sudden, the people that go in the mission yeah. field, you can go serve there. Or... Yeah, be nice to people. I heard this one time. Be nice to people you meet on the way up the ladder because you may meet them when you're coming down. <laughs> so it's nice to, you know, don't. don't... And, and you never know the, the, the person that you interact with here today who someday will be the person who will make a phone call or uh, make a contact for you that opens a door for a job. Uh, you just don't know who's going to end up in what places, and you will bump into folks the rest of your life in ministry, particularly uh, for those of you know, the, the half of students maybe that are Wesleyan. But if you're in other groups, other denominations, you'll tend to bump into the same people over and over again. So love on them, uh, be respectful, uh, care for them well when you have the chance. So the same thing, kind of just worded a little bit differently, um, but as a pastor, president, and now you're going back to being a district superintendent. You make it sound like I can't keep a job. No, yeah. no, this is like <laughs> repertoire, leadership. Those are long stints. <laughs> As pastor, president, district superintendent, you've worn a lot of leadership hats. So if you could say anything to the future Christian counselors, teachers, worship leaders, pastors, missionaries, social workers, and theologians of our generation sitting before you, is there anything you would add to that? So I know you were envisioning what you would tell yourself as a graduate. Is there anything knowing, if you were putting on the district superintendent hat as you're going back uh, into that kind of role, what would you want to share to some of the people that really could be in your district coming back here right after this or around all over? Is that a fair question? <laughs> I just don't know when you're done. I love to hear it. <laughs> I think if I don't say anything, you'll just keep talking. I love this. It's, <laughs> Some degree. It's much more Awkward fun to listen. silence, man. <laughs> <laughs> much more fun to listen to you talk. Thanks. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy the simple little things that, that really... They, they sound almost elementary, but they really matter. And that is in terms of doing your best in every opportunity. Um, you know, you, you're given assignments and papers, and sometimes you look at that syllabus, you think, really? Uh, I still have stuff I did in high school. I, when I was here as a student, I've got some things I wrote. Um, it, you know, do your best. And I look back, some of my greatest regrets are places where I just kind of went through the motions. I just kind of, you know, mm. mailed it in. And I look back and say, wow, that was a missed opportunity. And they just don't come back. So uh, to do your best in every situation and what you do now with excellence will prepare you for what you're going to get a chance to do in the future with excellence. So, you know, whether there are assignments here or you're on ministry teams, um, you know, just 
do your best, you know, do work, whatever you find to do, Paul said, work at it with all your heart, because uh, you're not trying to please men, you're trying to please God. And if you do that in every opportunity, you will find a way forward. Uh, Proverbs talks about the, the skill of a person, the gift that's well used, opens the door for them to stand before kings. And it's been crazy, because I started out as a worship leader and mm. youth pastor, and I didn't think I ever wanted to be, you know, the pastor. That seemed like a dull job. And <laughs> certainly never wanted to be the president. I guarantee that wasn't on my list. But, uh, you know, to, to do the things that you did well, I, I, I had a lot of opportunities to be in the room with influencers and decision makers because I, I worked hard at being a good worship leader. And then because I did that, all of a sudden I had chances to do that, something else. But it was predicated, it was built on the thing I did well when I was given that opportunity. So I think about David, for example. David took really good care of the sheep. I mean, he was willing to kill lions and bears when it wasn't very spectacular, and apparently nobody else knew about it. His brothers don't say, hey, here comes the lion killer. They just right. go, here comes our punk brother, you know. And, uh, and he took care of the bread and the cheese. He, you know, he's bringing them cheese sandwiches. But when he gets there, because he's been so faithful in little things, he gets an opportunity to win the day. And um, mm. so... Uh, yeah, don't, don't lose sight of what you get to do today. I mean, literally, in this next 24 hours, it really matters. And please don't cash it in. Um, you know, just kind of mail it. Uh, it. It's probably one of the great frustrations um, in being here. Can I go there? <laughs> yeah, I would love to. <laughs> yeah. um, somebody, if not you, somebody's paying really good money for your education. Uh, Compared to what it would cost American students to go to almost any other college, this is a real steal. Uh, compared to what it costs to go to a college in a public university in Canada, this is actually pretty expensive. So, you know, either way you're on that, the reality is somebody's paying. It costs about $25,000 to educate a student here for a year. And the last time I checked, I think your total bill was like a little over 17 before scholarships and grants. So there's people who are contributing to your education right now about $8,000 a year. Most of them you'll never meet. Well, you're here for four years. Uh, I didn't have it down to days. That was really good, uh, Katie. I, I didn't have it figured <laughs> out down to the days, but that's good. Um, and, and yet sometimes I see people who just kind of go through the motions. They just, you know, they sleep in. They stay up too late. You're missing opportunities. It, it shocks me. I'll look around in chapel on Tuesdays and Fridays. It shocks me the people I don't see here. And I haven't done it. Uh, I've threatened to do it, haven't done it. Uh, that is walk through the dormitory at like 9.45 uh, on the morning when chapel starts. Because I just think, like if you weren't here Tuesday, if you weren't here yesterday to hear Phil Taylor's message, you cheated yourself. And that's a moment you can never get back. You can't rewind and you can watch the video, but there's something about being present in the moment. And God was here. And God spoke, and, um, and you, the problem is you don't know when that's going to happen, right? Mm. It's not like you can say, oh, that's going to be a really good chapel, and that chapel's going to stink, so I'll sleep. You don't know when God's going to show up. It's about being faithful. It's about being there all the time, and then when that does happen, you don't miss it. Um, so, it, 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 you know, it's your, ultimately, yeah, it's your deal, and, and uh, don't, just don't miss, don't miss that this is a gift that there are, there are literally millions of people around the world your age who'd love to have the opportunity to have. Hmm. Uh, they'll never get a chance to go to college of any kind and to go to a school where you're affirmed in your faith, where you're given opportunities to serve and to love uh, and to be cared for like you are by faculty and staff. 
this is a really unusual place. It's, this is a really distinct experience. And to not squeeze everything you possibly can out of it, you're going to look back. I look back with regret. And so that's what I'd say to myself. And they just listened to what I said to myself. That's all. That's, that's, I get what you're saying, but that's also hard because there's so much. There's so much opportunity. Like, I love what you said when you were, I wanted to stop because I love what you said about you don't know when God's going to show up. You got to be there because you don't know when God's going to show up. But then if you have so many chapels, so many polls, so many things that are going on, even the grace side of Christianity, like you said, you, you can't get it back. In my head, I want to be like, but you, I mean, we'll have experiences later on. You don't want to, you don't want to hear that you can't get it back. You can't get it back. I'll say it again. Because <laughs> you can't get it back. You know, yeah, will you have other opportunities? Certainly. But you're paying good money for these ones. So, you know, why to, why to blow them on Call of Duty or whatever? I don't know what the game is of the year is this year, you know, or uh, FaceTiming with my friends. I mean, the reality is everybody gets 24 hours. Everybody gets the same 24 hours. You get the same 24 hours as Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg uh, you get the same 24 hours as Richard Branson. You get the same 24 hours as Beyonce. You get the same 24 <laughs> hours as Stephen Harper. You get the same 24 hours. The question is, what are you going to do with your 24 hours? You, you know, you asked me about the book, Lead Like Wesley, and I'm under a huge, huge sense of conviction these days as I'm working through this book uh, that I'm writing. And, and that is, Wesley, uh, his number one rule for leaders was be diligent. Make the most of every opportunity. Mm. And we don't. Uh, I don't care how busy you think you are, at the end of the day, stop and think about every minute, every hour, was it offered to God? And, and I have to confess, blew that, oh, messed up there, can't believe I watched that overtime. I mean, didn't really matter who won. Uh, you know, the things that you go back. So I, I just think holding ourselves accountable to that standard is huge. And yeah, do we fail? Yes, thank God for grace. At the end of the day, you pray and say, God, I want to do better tomorrow. Um, but but holding yourself accountable because it's your life. Don't waste it. I, could go, I might come back to that because you're a driver and there's a lot of your personality that we can learn from here. But you, you mentioned that. So if you don't know this, uh, right now, President Gorvet is reading through all of John Wesley's works as a whole or journals, all of John Wesley's journals and in a contract of writing a book that will be published. And I will be one of the first ones to be out to buy it. So like I, when that's out, like as a leader, I will want to learn from him and what he's even gleaned from that. But the question I did have up there that will be up there is, you've been studying a lot of John Wesley's, they're in the background there, you didn't, mm. yeah, um, you've been studying a lot of John Wesley's, uh, Wesley lately. Some extreme people find it kind of weird to follow a person or denomination so closely instead of just focusing on the Bible and Jesus as Christians. So, like, I guess the question is, what's, what's the importance of studying or following someone that, like, is not closely or directly found in the Bible, you know, or Jesus. Sometimes it can feel weird to say, well, just John Wesley, he's a denomination. He's not Jesus or the Bible. It's good to learn from him, but maybe we shouldn't be so focused on studying one guy. So like you, yeah, go for that. Well, I don't worship Wesley. So let's start with with (laughs) that one. I don't worship Wesley. I don't worship the Wesleyan denomination either. I worship Jesus alone. And there is actually a book written by a gal, um, Mary Beth Jones, I think it was, who wrote the book Lead Like Jesus. Well, I'm not that presumptuous. Uh, I'd like to. I aspire to lead like Jesus. But actually, sometimes it's helpful to do what Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So if I can find somebody who's like one step or two down the rung, but I'm so far down the ladder that even that feels like a stretch looking up to (laughs) Wesley. So uh, I'm I'm kind of working on that assumption. It really is a remarkable story for those of you who don't know it. And and it's, uh, you know, this is a guy who was a college professor. 
He had just finished college himself and was uh, working on basically what was his master's degree. And a couple of fellows in, in, the, in the campus, including his brother, said, could we get together and just talk about what it means to lead a holy life? And so they did. They began to pray together. They began to read the word together, um, began to uh, fast regularly. They took the money from their fasted meals and, and went into the community and found poor people and, and helped meet the needs of poor people. And they read that uh, I was in prison and you visited me. And they said, well, we haven't done that. So they started mm -hmm. visiting in prison. Mm -hmm. And the, this is young men. And what's crazy about this, uh, Wesley, I think, had been enlightened. Uh, God's prevenient grace or drawing grace was at work. But it's not until Aldersgate, 1738, that he says he actually had his, his assurance of salvation. But he was a believer. He was pursuing God passionately long before he ever had full assurance of faith. Right. And in that pursuit, um, you know, they eventually became called, jokingly, the Holy Club. Others called them. And that's where the word Methodist came from because they were so disciplined about getting up in the morning, early, praying, fasting, caring for the poor, visiting prisoners. And they did that, quote-unquote, religiously. You know, that from that starting as college students to, to creating a movement. So pause really quick. Yeah. That started while he was a college student. So like, the, 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 the movement right here. right here is when he started taking the Bible seriously. Everything yeah. that's transpired from that was an inspired college student. Someone said, what does holiness look like? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that was pursued. How, how, here's a great question for the rest of your life. How close to Jesus can I live? How close to Jesus can I live? Because a lot of Christians ask the other side of that, right? How far away from Jesus can I live and still get into heaven? <laughs> like, like there's some merit. Like how, how far can I skate to the edge and, and not get expelled? And, and Wesley and those guys are just saying, how, how close can we live to Jesus? Now he goes on a horseback and after his heart is strangely warmed and for the next, you know, from 1738 till like 1890, he spends in what we call itinerant ministry or he's a traveling evangelist. He rides over 250,000 miles on horseback, a quarter of a million miles on horseback. Uh, some historians believe that there were more than one million people who prayed to receive Christ, who had assurance of salvation through the Methodist movement. Wow. And at the peak, uh, they had 100 and, uh, over 100,000 people who were regularly attending band and, and uh, society meetings, and they were actively participating in the movement. So 100,000, that's a pretty good-sized church even today. Take that, take that, Joel Olstein. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to learn and learning a lot as I uh, spend time in that. What you said there about diligence, how close you get to know Jesus, like, and how, asking the, that question. That, that's hard, though, because we, we know there's a grace of worship. There's a grace in worship side that's not by works. Um, but then we don't want to be so focused on works that's all about diligence, but then I feel like sometimes we can also negate that too. Yeah, Wesley actually makes a big deal about this. He never argues that we're saved by works. That's, that's stupid. Uh, that's a theological term, by the way. That's stupid. <laughs> uh, you, can't, you can't earn your salvation. If you could earn your salvation, Jesus didn't need to die on the cross. So put that to rest. But Wesley strongly connects this, that works are the fruit of salvation, And if you look at a tree and there's never any fruit on it, then something's not right about that tree. Right. So he, he would talk about that. And then again, the pursuit, what, his question was, how much of heaven can we experience on earth? Is it just about, you know, kind of getting by until we die and then pie in the sky? You know, is it that kind of thing? <laughs> or how much of heaven, how much of God's kingdom could we see fully expressed 
in our homes, in our lives, in our families, in our community, in our dormitory, how much of heaven could we draw in as we pursue God passionately? Now, you interview all of the first years and all of the graduating students. Yeah, and if you're a first-year student, we've missed you. Mrs. Erica Foster is trying to get you on the calendar, so please. I understand we had a couple of folks maybe who had to reschedule, so we're working on it. Shane Selke, I've got you this afternoon, and anybody else. If you missed your interview, please. Uh, my understanding is everybody got contacted. So you could speak wisely, maybe even prophetically, maybe, I don't know, into this one. What, what would be the bright spots and the blind spots of our generation? If, you, if you're watching people come in and out, and you, and you get to watch a lot of us come in and, and see what would be the strengths of, man, you guys, and with that, usually, there's, wherever there's a strength, there's usually a weakness. What are like, man, you guys are really good at this. You guys going to use this. Man, you guys, we really need to shape up in this. I would I'd really affirm this. Uh, it was actually came out in the speeches this morning, this, this high value of community. Um, I was part of the, I am part of the, what's called the boomer generation. If you were born before 1964, uh, they still technically classify you as somebody who's a, a child of the second world war generation. So up to 64, you're boomer. And one of the characteristics of my generation was very much about accomplishment achievements. And, and that didn't matter who you had to step over to get there. Right. Uh, you, you can read a lot of literature from the eighties and nineties and, and, uh, book titles like looking out for number one. I mean, that, you probably couldn't sell that book today. Couldn't give it away. But uh, I love what I see in this generation and the heartbeat for community, the heartbeat for compassion. I think those are the, probably the two, you know, the compassion, uh, wanting to make a difference in, in social justice issues, um, expressing the heartbeat of God in practical ways, and then that just the, the hunger for community, uh, the longing for it. And, and the reality is this generation has experienced less stability in community than most generations. Um, I mean, there's more transient families. Uh, Ms. Guptel mentioned, you know, five high schools, and, and that, that is more likely today than ever before that people are on the move, whether it's for work, uh, for families that have split up, all kinds of craziness. So people have experienced in this generation less community. Uh, for, for example, I think until 1950, um, the vast majority of homes had three generations living in them. Think about it. You had your grandparents, your parents, and you. Almost every home, that was the normal experience. Now, for many of you, how many of you, like your grandparents, lived in your home when you were a teenager? Anybody here would say, my grandparents lived in It's probably like five or six, maybe? Yeah. Cool. So there's a disconnectedness from that. So this, this, this generation longs for community, and they have a great heart for compassion. Those would be the two things I would... I so, keep hearing over again. So I want to hear both. So that, that, that's the bright spots. Blind spots if you're driving in a car. If you don't check, it's very easy to miss some things that could be dangers, that you could yeah. easily run into a car. So what would be like if you're saying, what are some possible blind spots, dangers, that we can be very communal, we can be very compassionate? Is there anything that you would say, if we're not careful, this generation could miss this? Well, I, I, we tend to, as generations, do this pendulum swing. You know, we're way over here, and you look at your parents or, or people, older people, and you say, oh, they're way over here, and so we're going to go where? Way over there. <laughs> and we all just yeah. keep missing the middle. So that's just kind of how generations swing back and right. forth. I, I would say probably the greatest concern I have about the combat, compassion social justice side is people who are willing just to do good but not do it in the name of Christ. And, and to miss the connection for the gospel. Because if I feed people and I teach them to read and I give them a job and, and I give them a nice house to live in and they die and spend eternity in hell, uh, I still believe in hell. The Bible teaches it fairly clearly. Uh, then I have really failed. So I can, I can be incredibly compassionate and still miss the mark. 
and I'm concerned about that. I don't know for our students here, but I certainly, as I read and try to connect uh, social media, that is a real conversation. I mean, people that I respect for their contribution, people like Shane Claiborne, who I think started out pretty much mainstream evangelical would be up here. I, I used to go and sit in preaching conferences with a guy named Rob Bell, Rob pastored in my town. And I, I sat as far as hope is from me, or grace is from me, uh, right there as Rob was talking about you know, teaching and teaching techniques and skills and stuff. And in my mind, I mean, I love Rob, and I hope he gets right with God, but right now I'd say he's a heretic. Right, right. But he has great heart from compassion. You know, he wants everybody to get water. Let's all get clean water, and I'm good. Let's, yeah, we should have clean water. I'm all over that. I'm going to come back, but did you just mix up hope and grace? Yeah. Because they have, like, hope, hope and grace. grace in their names. I'm looking You're for like... faith. Is faith there this morning? <laughs> we have a girl in our class, campus yeah. named Faith. We should have. We just need to find the trio, right? We don't um, No, but I, I went through this as a pastor in the local church before this. It almost was... It was almost celebrated or elevated that you could go and give to needs without having to, to present Christ. Yeah. We were almost in missions wanting to go and to give towards causes where you did for food, but it didn't have to put Christ into it because they just need food first. And you almost support people that are doing that. But, and that almost seemed more spiritual. And so I remember there being battles of like, well, yeah, but our first commission as a church isn't just to feed. It's, yeah. it's to preach Christ because we believe that even if they can't feed everyone, they need Christ. So there is a, there's a real tension of... Well, Many of the students will know from your classes that the, that the evangelical church, or what I'd call kind of orthodox Christianity, uh, came to a kind of a watershed moment in, in the, earlier, the previous century, and folks who were really uh, focused primarily on social justice kind of put the gospel on the shelf and went off this way, and people who were really adamant about the gospel said, well, we can't do that. We're going to just preach the gospel, so they abandoned social justice, and there was this huge divide, and I, I think this generation has the greatest potential to marry those two, but wow. the temptation is to drop you know, the gospel and drop doing it in Jesus' name. Francis Assisi, there's no proof that he ever said this, but it gets posted on Facebook all the time. Uh, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Well, there's no credible historian who says that Francis ever said that. What I saw just the other day, a, a kind of a pushback on that said, yes, feed pig, people, feed people at all times, if necessary, use food. <laughs> I mean, same kind of rationale, so uh, yeah. The second thing we talked about was community, and I think what's the downside of community is that there can be the sense that because we got together and we had warm feelings for everybody, that we actually accomplished the mission. And the boomer temptation was to get the mission done even if people don't like it. You know, we're gonna get the job done. And, and today there can be a temptation, well, we don't wanna offend anybody and let's just all get along. And yet there are gonna be hard decisions you're gonna to have to make if you're gonna be in leadership. And without leadership, things don't get done. Um, mm. you, you know, if you just, you know. Oh, we have some athletes in here. Do we have athletes? Where are our athletes be? Um, I remember we were in a car and you were talking about this. Like, okay, so there is a communal side where it's like, you know what? If we just come together and gather, that's enough. But you were talking to me about how almost deeper relationships are formed by being on mission together more so than just gathering. Can you speak into that? Yeah, I think there's a, Bonhoeffer does a great job of this in his book, Life Together, which would be on any top 20 list of books I'd ever recommend to Christians, uh, Life Together. And, and he argues that we often settle for superficial, superficial community. Like, uh, I've, got, I've got 1,700 followers on Twitter, so these are all my friends. No, I've got probably three or four really close friends. And so... That superficiality um, 
you know, just wanting to maintain that. I, don't, I want as many likes as possible. You know, when's Facebook going to have a don't like button on it? Right now, it's not going to do that. And, and I think there are churches, uh, communities right now that are wrestling through this thing of, well, you know, there's some hard decisions to be made, but we're not going to make them because we don't want to offend anybody. Right. And that's going to be a dilemma. I, I would, you know, I think one of the real issues that this generation is going to have to face is this whole gender identity issue. I, I was picking on my friend Ryan. He said, does we pick a male and a female? Well, that won't be the question anymore. In fact, in the Ontario uh, legislature, they, they passed some uh, sex education material for public schools that there are like nine gender options. And once a student self-selects, the teacher has to be careful that they don't offend them by identifying them by the wrong one of those options. Wow. And I never had, you know, when I pastored, that was not a question. That was not a question. Uh, today, you know, what do you do about homosexual marriage? What do you do about uh, transgender? What, you've got issues to deal with that my generation didn't have to. And, and there's going to be points at which when you wrestle through with Scripture, uh, you wrestle through your theological understandings, you're going to draw some lines, and there's going to be people who are going to be offended because you did. Uh, that doesn't mean you don't love them, but they're going to feel that way. You know, toleration is the new virtue. The only thing our society won't tolerate is intolerance. Um, and that becomes intolerant anyway. So. <laughs> um, I had two sections. We're about to go into Q&A, but I, I wanted to talk about leadership and hear just from um, President Gorvet on, on a, from his wisdom and experience. I also want to do that in just spiritual growth. What you were saying, like, why would we not want to love Jesus and fully pursue him? Uh, my, my question was, first off, has Kingswood been spiritually, has, has it been, how has Kingswood been developmental for your spiritual life? Has it been, and how so? I was thinking more this time. You could go even back in the day, but like, I'll has it been? Spirit, how, how's it? How's it grown you? Well, let me just say, I, I think I'm fairly busy, and uh, <laughs> I have not. But but really quick, for as much as he travels, is he not like always consistent at being at our events more than most of us? Do we? Is he not do both really well? I uh, I'm amazed how many things you were at and traveling as well. It's amazing how you manage that. So. Yeah. Well, and I would say I, I love the events. I go because I'm selfish. I just want to be there with you. <laughs> I enjoy hanging out with you. But I think in, four, in five years, I'd have to go back and double check. Uh, Mrs. Benson could probably help me. I can't think of more than two times that I've been in Sussex and not in chapel when chapel happens. That's in five years. Wow. I missed two chapels. Wow. So when I said earlier about don't miss opportunities because you don't know when God's going to show up, I said that because I really believe that. Amen. And I've lived that. And one of the great things, one of the great gifts of being here has been chapel, worshiping with you, hearing what God has spoken through the variety of people that have come and shared the word. You know, so if I can only miss two in five years, I'm happy for you to beat my record there, Thomas. Go for it. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. He was just kind of waving um, his hand. I thought I'd catch him off guard there. So. Uh, that's one of the things I'm most humbled even to interview you or just to even be under, like, to, to serve alongside of you is you don't, it, it can become easy in ministry to be so busy, to, to know you still believe in it, but to not interact in it. But you not, you not only believe it and say it, but you live it. Like, yeah. And I really appreciate that for you, yeah. about you. Yeah. So. Well, and I long for that, you know, I, I, I say that to students, but I frankly, I, I feel the same way about faculty, and uh, I've had conversations with our academic dean, because on occasion, I know faculty members can feel like they're busy, and they would be tempted to stay in their office and grade papers, and I'm like, we've just got to be here together. 
God could show up and I would hate to think I was grading a paper when, mm. when God came and did something special in our community and I missed that. So that would, that's been really rich for my heart. Uh, second thing has been great for me. Um, one of the things in the, as a district superintendent, the way I, my schedule was ordered, I didn't have a team of people like I have the opportunity of serving here and our faculty and staff. And so one of the things we started, it's been almost four years ago, uh, was our band. Before we asked you to be in bands, we started a band, and uh, Dr. Dave Smith and Mr. Ivan Graham and I have met almost every Thursday. If we're in town, even if there's only two of us, we'll meet on Thursday. That's awesome. And uh, if there's three of us, obviously we do, and we will often grab a bite to lunch, but you can't have, just hear this, you cannot have a deep conversation in a public restaurant or in the cafeteria. So if you tell me that your band regularly meets in the cafeteria during the meal, I'm gonna question how deep you've really gone. Uh, we go and we meet and we eat, yeah, and we kind of cover some bases, but then we go and we sit in the car and the last questions get asked when there's just the three of us, when there's nobody listening, when there's nobody around, and then we pray for each other. Yeah, we take turns praying for each other, and that's been incredibly rich for me. Mm. I'm grateful for that, and I've got to figure out now as I move to Indiana, uh, who do I find, how do I get to do that again, because I don't want to lose that. I say a third thing in terms of the growth here, um, it's something I've been working on practicing. I've been much more faithful. Uh, I wish I could say I've never missed devotions. I'm better at coming to chapel than I am with my daily devotion. <laughs> so I keep working on that. Uh, but one of the things that's been most helpful, and I really wanted, uh, Brent will know, Pastor Professor Don Joe will know how deeply I feel about this. I really wanted everybody to have a journal that you could, could write in, that you could pray in. I use the SOAP method, S-O-A-P. What's the scripture? What I observe? How do I apply it? And what's my prayer? And uh, you can go back and sit, actually sitting on my desk down at the office. Um, I have been much more faithful uh, in, the, in the years I've been here, and it's been great for me. You know? Amazing. So those are a few of the ways. All right. Um, last question. We'll open up to questions here. So anyone that has any questions, I would love to hear from you. Uh, is there any concept in Christianity or verse that you feel, like this is more personal, I know this is like an obvious question, that you would feel would alter the way we would live if we meditated on it daily? And if so, what? Is there something concept in Christianity-wise or verse-wise that if we meditated on it daily, you feel like it would alter? Probably the verse... Uh Professor Don Gell, that comes back to me uh, the most, and it was a verse actually that I first, first grabbed me, instead of me grabbing it, it grabbed me when I was a student here uh, back in 1977. That's a long time ago. <laughs> anyway, was Galatians chapter 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, in the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, if that's all I knew about the gospel, you could go a long way on one verse. Mm. A long way. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live the life I now live. I live in flesh, but I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And, um, you know, today, that is just as important, just as, as life-changing for me as anything I've ever read since. Because... Well, it's, it's not just me. It's not about the flesh. It's not about what I can do. It's about what Christ can do through me. He's living in me. Um, my greatest effectiveness, my greatest joy will be when I let Jesus live through me instead of trying to do it. Um, that's what I love about Romans chapter 7. You can't fight flesh with more flesh. 
I was going back through my wow. journal this morning. And Romans 7 is all about how can I conquer the flesh with the flesh? And it's like, wow. you can't, you idiot. <laughs> you only conquer the flesh with the spirit. <laughs> oh, duh. And uh, any time that I've gotten in trouble, and I do, I still do wow. stupid things. And I'll look back and say, ah, you were not letting Jesus live through you in that moment. You, were, you kind of took the reins. You kind of decided to do it your own way. So... Galatians 2.20, I'd commend it to you. And scripture memory, uh, we don't talk a lot of, maybe about as, as much as we could, but I think scripture memory is huge because uh, what you fill your mind with you know, is going to work its way out. And that verse, you know, for those many, many years, has stuck with me. Questions. Questions that you would have for President Corvette. Uh, you can have times individually, but if you want to ask him something, I have one question up here I can ask as well, but I just wanted to give you a moment to ponder that. Yeah, Ben. great question, uh, uh, Pastor Pass. Uh, I think there's a growing hunger because of that illiteracy, and I don't remember using that phrase, but I'm going to pick it up and borrow it if I can. Uh, I think there's a growing hunger for the teaching ministry of the church to be systematic um, through the Bible, book at a time, verses at a time, walk people through and uh, you don't have to look too far to find some churches that have done that incredibly reflective. Uh, James McDonald is a wonderful example of that. There's lots of others, but um, walking people through it. So they just, they just have to open their Bible. They have to walk with you, journey with you through it. Um, I, I don't know. That, that's probably the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, yes, right here, Noah. Well, no community is a them, you know, so that's probably the first thing is, who, who has God put on your heart? What are the people that you connect with the best? I have uh, a friend who lives here that I knew when I was in high school here, and we've, we've just, it's been on my heart, and I, I don't feel like I've done what I could have, all I should have, but we've reconnected here again in the last few weeks and just had a chance to pray. What his needs are, at, at, you know, in his 50s are different than the junior high school kid down here. So, and even the junior high school kids are going to be different. One of the great things I love about the body of Christ is every one of you in this room has some place where you've grown or even where you've been hurt and have healed, and that is not to be wasted. There's some high school student down here who's struggling with eating disorders, and there are people sitting in this room, you know what that's like, you've been through that. There are some of you who have come from broken homes, and there are kids in this community who have that, and they need somebody they could talk to. So I think there's a huge opportunity. I think it was Caleb mentioned about the mentoring opportunities that they're there. Professor Lee has some thoughts about that, what that may look like going forward. You know, then you've got single moms, you've got the pregnancy crisis care. My thing would be for every one of us, there are things that, that God has uniquely interested us in, wired us for, and figuring out what that is and what would that look like and who's the person in this community I could reach or who could help me figure out who that might be. Uh, I'm not sure that there's a single thing that as a campus, like there's one thing we can all do and make the biggest difference because um, 
even in, when you're pastor a church, you'll try to do some things as you lead a church or lead a school or whatever ministry you're called to. Uh, you're going to do a thing, and you've got to figure out what it is you can call as many people as possible to, but there's still needs that aren't going to get met. I never, you know, this is a, you think it's maybe a silly illustration, but I always am intrigued by the thought that in Acts, when Peter and John go up to the temple to pray, there's a lame man there who's been there, it says, for many years. Hmm. Now, what intrigues me about that is how many times did Jesus minister in the temple and how many people did he heal and there was still one guy laying at the door of the gate called Beautiful hmm. who wasn't healed yet. And that's reality. You can look at a community and think, well, this community, there's a lot of churches and then everybody's needs are met, but there's always somebody. Wow. And so who does God open your eyes to when you're at Tim's or when you're at, at Walmart or as you're out prayer walking? Who are the people that God opens your eyes to when you think, oh, there's something I could do? Uh, pause before we go to that question. Noah, you asked a good question and he kind of hit on it, but one of the geniuses uh, in the mass like that, of President Gorvet is he's really great at empowering people. So, and finding their gifting within that. So, would you have anything to say with that as well? Like you're saying, find your niche, find where God's calling you with someone. Well, has there been anything specific that you would say, because you have empowered people within their settings to be themselves for the gospel. It's church planning, a lot of ministry roles. Is there something that has been a secret to like, not a secret, but a thing that consistently people need to hear to know that they can be empowered for the gospel in that way or in different ways? Well, I go way back to some, some books that were foundational for me. Uh, a guy named Ray Stedman wrote a book called Body Life, again, way back in the 70s, the Jesus People Movement. I mean, old people like Mike, Professor McNeil, and I would know this book, Body Life, right? <laughs> but um, he, was, he did such a good job of explaining that every part of the body has its function. Uh, Paul uses this wonderful metaphor in Corinthians. And so for me, it has been a, a great journey to try to figure out what's my part, and if I've got a part, so do you, and what's your part, and how can we help each other? Uh, we were laughing earlier about church planting. Uh, one of my great joys and one of the things I'm so excited about going back to do this job is that a district as a district superintendent, I had the privilege of coming alongside young leaders and saying, what's the dream that God has put in your heart? What, would, what do you think you know, God has uniquely wired you up to do? And so for my friends Adam and Christy Lipscomb, who just had this incredible heart to plant a church in the inner city, for the working poor. You know, the homeless people get a lot of press, but there are a lot of people who are struggling, living paycheck to paycheck, who are just getting by, and they can't right. see above that reality. Right. And, and they often are overlooked, and they, uh, they have unique needs. Anyway, Adam and Christy had a dream to plant this church, and so to come alongside them as they planted City Life Church in downtown Grand Rapids, which today runs over 200 people. I mean, it's never gonna have a chapel like this, but it has incredibly effective ministry, a migrant ministry, and a literacy ministry, uh, legal aid kind of things that they do, just great stuff. Well, three blocks away, a friend of mine, uh, Troy Evans, who wrote a book called uh, Living on the Edge, and uh, has a church that he planted now. But Troy had grown up in, in gang-banging culture, uh, had a brother who was shot, left for dead, um, just crazy stories of, of survival, really, off the streets. And he gets wonderfully saved and has a heart to come back to Grand Rapids. And so I sat with him in a restaurant. I can still picture sitting in the Applebee's and, and him saying, uh, or asking him, so what kind of church would you want to plant? And he said, I'd want to plant a church, a hip-hop church. 
And I was just faintly, this has been 10 years, I was just faintly aware that there was a genre of music called hip-hop, just faintly aware of it. <laughs> I, I'd heard the cars go by occasionally with some kind of bass beat thing going on, and oh, I didn't yeah. quite get oh, yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, but like, well, tell me what that looks like, Troy. And as he began to paint a picture of what it would look like to reach people and to do church on Saturday night early enough, like at 6 o'clock or so, so that when they were getting ready to go out for the night to party, that if their friend called them and said, hey, why don't you go to church with me, they were already planning to go out that night anyway, so they would go to church first, wow. and hopefully they'd have such an incredible encounter with God that they'd skip going to the bar later. Wow. And they weren't going to get up on Sunday morning and go to church. And so to be there with Troy when he launched, and today, you know, again, they're reaching more than 200 people, and so many young, uh, young particularly young African-American males have been impacted by that ministry. Yeah. And so my great joy, I didn't ever get, I, never, I couldn't have planted that church. It wasn't about me. It was about, can I help other people discover what their dreams are and passions? Mm -hmm. And so one of the questions I've asked freshmen as I've come through, and some of you will remember this question, is uh, so 10 years from now, when I try to find my friend Noah Travis, uh, where will I find him? What will he be doing? And just to hear your dreams and how can we help you discover what God's wired you up for. And I know that shifts and it grows and it clarifies over time, but uh, there are seeds even today that God's planted in your heart of things that you could uniquely do uh, whether it's your talents or your life experiences, but as you offer those to the Lord, there are people that you can impact for eternity that nobody else could reach. Uh, one of the statements we made, and, and I, I firmly believe, is it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. Mm. But churches are just collective expressions, right, of a group of people. So it takes all kinds of people to reach all kinds of people. And all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. Uh, just, just uh, you know this, okay, but you, uh, you, you don't know this. Okay, Western Michigan, like, the, I would go to district meetings, and so you would have these, this couple that's kind of still missionaries, like, they're still supported, but they are dealing with literally prostitutes coming to church, people that don't have enough money, to, like, people with kind of mental instability, and the church of 200, and they're trying to make ends meet. To like down the road, literally, they have a Lecrae concert. Like they have a, a worship team that sings like the, the kind of praise courses and they rap with graffiti in the wall dark on Saturday night. Like they have amazing hip hop dancers, like, uh, like probably on the forefront of church ministry, let alone Wesleyan ministry, walking in. And then you have Kyle Ray, pastor of like large church, over a thousand, where they decided to go from diversity. So Wayne Schmidt, who's Caucasian, uh, like really mentors an African-American to take on that role into that. And so you have, like, literally, you have the khaki pants, button-up shirt pastors coming with the ties. You have the guys with the hat off to the side, the white belt, and the kind of saggy pants, or the baggy pants walking into this meeting. You have the people doing intercity all in the same place, and he's the one that riled them up. Like, he's the one that made it happen, like, to where these meetings are people of all different walks of life ministering out of their gifting. And so um, that's, I, I've appreciated that, like the, the way that you do that so well. You never did us. give me your white belt, by the way, that white belt you wore. Ooh. Was that your white belt? No, are you talking like actual fighting white belt? That was your, I, I didn't know, the hat, that was you? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. No. <laughs> no, that was Troy Evans. Oh, Troy Evans Troy. always has his like, his yeah, little, his hat on there. All right, we have one more question back there. Books, yep. Uh, boy, and, and I've got so many friends. In fact, it's one of the running jokes right now between my wife and I is which books are you not going to take to Indiana? Like, oh. I can't imagine leaving any book behind. But uh, I'll just, I'll, these are going to be top of mind. I don't have a list like. Someone should be writing these down. No, but the these are just some top of mind books. Um, 
One of the books that, that shaped me profoundly was a book by Oswald J. Saunders called Spiritual Leadership. And I highly commend it. Uh, he was a, a missionary statesman, and it's called Spiritual Leadership. You can find it in our library. I know it's down there, and I refer to it often. Um, so that, that would be one. Uh, pick one book by Maxwell. They all pretty much say the same thing. John Maxwell, <laughs> so, yeah. so just pick one. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I, it's funny because I, I remember John Maxwell when he was the director of evangelism for the Wesleyan Church, was going around working with churches, you know, so it's, it's been a, quite a journey. But, you know, he's, he's a great synthesizer. He takes the best of stuff and pulls it together. And I still, one of the books I use the most often is one of his earliest ones called Developing the Leader Within You. And so um, I have that one. I've, got, I've given away multiple copies of that. Uh, I would probably encourage you to read Life Together, although Cost of Discipleship by Bonhoeffer is, is even more profound in, in terms of the breadth of what he deals with there, the idea of cheap grace uh, versus mm -hmm. what it means to be a costly disciple. Um, so that, that's certainly a huge book. Oh, man, you're, you're, I can only do that many, huh? Um, outside of Christian literature... Um, an excellent book that I actually use in my master's class here is called The Leadership Challenge, and it's a great takeaway on uh, what are the essential functions of leaders. I think I've got, actually, I put it in the back of my journal, uh, you know, the five points of the book. So I, I carry that around just to remind me, what is it a leader supposed to be doing? So I got that from there. Uh, read something by Gene Edwards. He's almost a, a mystic type dude, and... Uh, you might get in trouble, but uh, read, read something. But he's written a lot of stuff. Probably the best book, particularly for those of you who are going to go on staff somewhere, is a book called The Tale of Three Kings. Some have to read that in my class. Oh, they do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So well, some have read that's that. That's a good point. <laughs> I get a brownie point for that. Yes. yes. Tale of Three Kings uh, would be one. And I'll narrow it down. All right. I'm going to go with, I'll stop at four, but got, after that, come down to my office and I'm, we can go through it on my shelf. One more question, and then we're going to come up with like kind of the results from the elections here. So we're, we're coming down to the end here. If, if there's one more really fiery question, yeah, let's go for this. Mm. That's a great last question, isn't it? How do you leave well? <laughs> uh, Mr. Locke is asking, how do you leave well? Um, and I've been thinking a lot about that, and I've had to do that, as, you, as, as my dear friend Professor Donjell mentioned. I can't keep a job, so I've left well several hey, times. Hey, hey, yeah, hey! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the first thing is to finish well, so that's your own personal responsibility. Uh, are there things that are undone that you can still do? Are there things that are on the table, things that you've started that really you ought to finish. Now, there's some things you start that are never finished, and so you just have to, some days you just have to realize the clock's out and you walk off the field and it's somebody else's turn. But are there things that you can do that should still be done? I remember, uh, for example, the last church I pastored, uh, there was, we were growing really fast, and we'd outgrown our building, and we'd sold that, moved into a high school auditorium. We needed to build, and I just dreaded the thought of it. I hated raising money. I hated the thought of building, and you know, mortgages and all that kind of stuff. So I hated that. And I literally resigned and accepted, uh, I tentatively accepted a new job so I wouldn't have to do that. And God just hammered me. Um, in fact, one of my great friends, a lay leader in the church, one of the guys said, uh, 
you've done a good job preaching for the last few years on faith, like how we should believe God for great things. So where's your faith? <laughs> Nailed me. So I had to, I had to call the, uh, the wonderful glowing job thing that was off in the future and tell them thanks, but no thanks. And I had to go back and with my hat mm. in my hand and apologize and ask if my board would uh, consider letting me stay. And, and they did, and we finished the project. I had capital, I had credibility with the, the team then that the next person would have had to spend a couple of years building the credibility before they could ever built the building. Wow. And so I was taking the easy way out. I was copping out on that, and so I had to step up. And so I think are the things you can do that only you can do, then do them. Don't be, don't be egotistical about it, because, I'm oh, sorry. No, you're good. You're and not so going to let me finish? No, that was great. And you were saying even the, as you finish well, it makes it that much better for the next person. If you don't finish well, it actually makes it harder for the next person health-wise. Well, especially if you leave home. stuff undone that they just walk in and you're like, like, if there's hard decisions to be made, don't leave that for the next person. Like, if there's people that need to be terminated, terminate them. You know, don't wait for the new guy to do that, really. Uh, you know, if there's situations that need to be dealt with, like in the district, if there were messy situations, don't just walk off and leave it there and say, well, that's the next guy's problem. I mean, step up and deal with it. So that would be huge. I think the other thing um, is, is when you walk away, walk away. Uh, for the most part, I would say 90% of the time, I've done that really well. Um, when, you, when you're done, when, you're, when the clock ticks and you step off the field, don't keep looking back. Don't keep trying to run back on the field. Uh, don't second guess. Stay away. And the only couple of times I've done it, I actually had to apologize to somebody uh, this last year when I realized about a situation where some people had reached out and said, um, you know, what would you have done? And I, I made the mistake of saying, well, I think it should have been handled this way. Uh, I was dead wrong, dead wrong to do that. And I had to go back and apologize uh, on that issue. But I want to stay here. How many of you do not have parents that are currently in ministry of some sort? How many would say you don't have parents? Okay, like so sometimes we take for granted, I take for granted my parents coaching me through this. So really quick, you need to hear this. Like what he's saying is big, not only for entering ministry, but leaving ministry. And, and my parents, one of the things they said to me too was, I always really was torn leaving because there was still stuff undone. And one of the things my parents told me is, Brent, if you're doing a good job, like there should still be stuff undone that you're leaving it in a healthy spot. If everything is already done, then you're leaving it in a bad spot. Like you should leave feeling like the stuff that's still undone to some extent because that means it's still growing and still has potential. You shouldn't leave it dead. And so without parents telling you that, that's, that's really, you need to hear that. You should, you, you should have attention of leaving still excited about the future of the place because there's still more to be done. So there's that side of that. And then what you just said is huge too about once you leave, leave. So explain that one to, like, because you do have friends you have people in ministry that you want to talk to. You have churches that you want to go back and visit. And you might want to go back and visit like three months later. You might want to go visit friends. And that is a hard one to know how much in ministry that you can do that and how much you have to step away. So explain that a little bit further because a lot of people won't get coached on that. Yeah. The, uh, the kind of the rule of thumb for me has been when you leave, you don't go back unless the new leader invites you back. <laughs> so that's the first one. That's kind of the easy one. You just don't. You don't go hang out in that town. You don't go have coffee with those friends in that town. Uh, so what's the caveat? Because you're like, so you never see any of those people ever again? No. 
the, the exception to that rule is for those friends that you had there who have other ministry or other kind of work-related things where you may intersect them in, in that capacity, then those are the people that you continue a relationship with. And I'll give you an example. Um, my vice chairman, the, the chairman of my board for six years in, at Williston New Hope, uh, was a guy named Ward Kozer, who I love. He's an incredible Christian gentleman, was the mayor of the town the last four years we were there. Uh, Ward was also on the board of the um, Oklahoma Wesleyan University, and I was serving on the board of Indiana Wesleyan University, and we'd be at various meetings, and every chance I got at those meetings, I would see Ward. We'd, we'd bump each other, we'd hang out, it was great. But I never drove out or flew out and just went, like, let's just go hang out at your house and be in town. I, I just didn't do that. Um, so we've, we've, and you know, when there are meetings like that, and there's like a third neutral, like when you're in Switzerland, <laughs> you're in a neutral country, that's great, because you're there, they're there, it's, you can do that. But to go back intentionally into And that's obvious those, to you, but just why? Why not? Well, first of all, there are people who, because they feel a sense of loyalty to you for your investment in them, as you were their teacher or you were their pastor, uh, they feel a sense of loyalty to you that's positional. It's not just you, and that's one of the dangerous things in leadership. People aren't nice to you because you're so wonderful. They are respecting the position and the day I'm no longer the president, there'll be people who won't return my phone call. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> you know, they're just like, oh, I, I, call, I returned your call or I called you because you were the president. That's fine. And, and when you're the pastor or the youth pastor or the school teacher or the counselor, there will be people who will hold you in esteem because you're in that role. Um, and when you're not in that role, for you to, to lean back into them and expect the relationship to be the same, that puts an unfair burden on them because now somebody else typically has filled that role, whether it's a new right. youth pastor or they have a new teacher or they have whatever. So that's part of it. Um, and it's, it's not fair to the other leader who now you've asked, you know, you stepped away, you took your hands off the wheel. So it's their job. They've got to have that kind of rapport. And for you to still interfere but why not? Your friends aren't being spiritually fed as much, and it's not uh, the same because yeah. you're gone. Well, they'll probably tell you that, too, and you might actually believe it. You know, it's tempting to believe that. Like, oh, you never had a better pastor than me. But, you know, you never know if they really mean it or if they're saying it because they want you to feel good about it. And so just be the adult in the relationship and assume that they just need to grow up and, and you know, <laughs> let, them, let them do that. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, th there's so much. Oh, there's a third thing. Third thing, I'm going to say it. Uh, finish what you can finish. When you leave, stay gone. And every opportunity you have, speak positively about your successor. Amen. Every opportunity you have. Um, and it's easy in my case because Dr. Lennox is amazing. I was on the phone to a donor yesterday who made a contribution to college. And I just told him, I am so excited about our new president because I really, really am. Uh, you know, when you can go on Amazon.com or .ca and look up Stephen, uh, is it P or J? J Lennox? And you find like four Bible commentaries that the dude has written. And then you think he's like been dean of the chapel for 3,000 students. And he's been the head of a religion department that has twice as many students as our campus does. He's been invited to speak all over the world. Uh, he's a trusted authority on, on, on the Bible. I'm just like, uh... This is really good. <laughs> I'm an alumnus here, right? Long after I will be gone as a president, I will always have been someone who went to school, graduated from here, and I want to be excited and proud of what God's doing here. So it's really easy for me. What's hard is when you leave someplace, and as you said, somebody follows you who maybe doesn't seem to care as much or they're not as gifted, but you don't know what God's doing. You just don't know. So to, to, your, your job is to say everything positive you possibly can. Don't lie. 
but everything you can find to say positive, to affirm that person, do it and keep your hands on and move on. Because the other thing is you've been called someplace else. So if you're still hanging out with friends back here and still FaceTiming people back there, it's like, what about the people today mm. that you've been called to serve in this context? You know, I can't do that here if I'm going to be fair to the people in Indianapolis. I've got to be all in. So wow. that would be... And so you're saying that if anyone wants to talk to you, you're not going to be calling all the students afterwards once you leave. But if they want to call and talk to you. Here's here's the third part. I'm now a district superintendent looking for great staff members. And I'll be back on the campus as a district superintendent trying to recruit you to come plant churches in Indianapolis. So we can talk about that. And I will only come as I have already been invited by our new president. I can hardly wait to come back to hear him preach. So Awesome. Thank you so much for this. Thank you so much. We'll have a chance next week in Wesley Hall with the all staff and faculty to celebrate the year and everything God's done just as a campus. Excited about that. So 9.30, breakfast, communal breakfast next week downstairs. I'm going to bring it up to Dean Sabin to close this out, and uh, we will go from there. Thank you guys so much for being so attentive, and I hope that you gleaned as much as I did from this.